And hello again, everyone. Welcome back to One Patriot Place here on WBLZ Sports. You're on the air with Stephen Murph. Uh, we want to thank everyone who's been listening on WBLZ, part of the Ironic Radio Network. And we're also online at fullpresscoverage.com. Be sure to check out our buds over there. They do a great job covering not only the Pats, but all the Boston sports teams. So Murph and I, are we're in our postseason mode here po- podcast even though the patriots aren't in, in the postseason anymore and uh we have our guests on the line with us three times super bowl champion matt chatham has joined us once again we want to welcome matt back to the podcast and murph you can kick it right in and start because i know we're a little short on time today but matt thanks again for taking the time my pleasure guys love to do this but you're right we don't really have a, a pat's angle here <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a tough one we no still one more game to go no no yeah. so i i want to talk about a food network angle and has really? food <laughs> network been in touch with you yet about a new show not that particular network but uh i i, I cannot be candid as i'd love to be here uh but i'm working on food properties let's put it that way i'm trying to trying to do oh. that little part as sort of an off-season project here so we'll oh, stay it. tuned let's I put it that it. way yeah oh. okay we will because if you guys missed it this week they had they had smoking meats with Matt on Nesson. What a great little fucking segment! And I'm like, hey, Food Network should know, but somebody should know about this. And and now see and that behold, talk just made me hungry. Yeah, so I, I actually as as uh, as I hopped on here to, to to chat with you guys, I put some cheddar and Havarti out. So I'm cold smoking oh. cheese this morning too. So it's yet again. And the the thing that's the only thing that sucks about that is with the Super Bowl being six days away. Usually the cheese does a little better with about two weeks or more. So this batch might not make it to the, the Sunday table, but it's still fun cheese, too. Cheese lasts that long in your house? Oh yeah, right. Exactly. Well, I mean, ideally a lot of them tell you four to four weeks, eight weeks if you can, and it really gets spectacular with more time, but uh, you're right. You, you know, once you've smoked it and kind of good to go, it's hard to keep the hands out of the, the, yeah, out of the drawers. Get those pellets going and, and, you know, ship me a brick. God. That's great, mm. but th- we do have some kind of um, of Patriots angle going here. There's there's uh, one one little Patriot that is is under center this Sunday. How do you think Jimmy is going to handle his first Super Bowl as a starter, bud? Yeah, I don't know. It's, you never know with any player, and I think uh, I'll be like a lot of people. You know, I, I don't know if it's straight up cheering. That's probably the wrong word, but uh, I'll be mm-hmm. pleased if he does well. Let's put it like that. I, I think uh, he's always been a really composed guy, and I think he's in a 
a system that really understands him and, you know, helps him sort of do what he does. But I think one of the more fascinating parts of sort of this, you know, just the week off before the Super Bowl, now that they dive into it, is hearing how candid Jimmy's been willing to be about Tom's influence on him. And, you know, it's going to be a weird week where they want to put the focus on the Niners and the Chiefs and not, not do Patriots stuff down there. But oddly right. enough, you know, it, it still comes up. It's really hard to not have it come up. And, and Jimmy has – you know, he has that smell all over him and a good, it's a good smell, but you know, just the yeah, way he answers questions, the way he sort of, uh, you know, the mannerisms, the, the, the way he communicates in situational football stuff, you know, two minute, four minute, things like that is all the stuff he does in the line. It's like, yeah, that's, it's a short armed or uh, not quite as tall, uh, darker, uh, haired version of Tom, you know, so it's kind of, it's kind of fun to see when a pupil like that has, has good success and just happens to be in another place. It, it certainly does, and and it, this is not Jimmy's first trip to the dance. How how much of an advantage is it knowing um, what to expect during this week? How to handle um, media day? Um, how to handle your your routine? Because it, it's not the regular routine, is it? I'll put it this way: um, I would have you know obviously got to, to to go to three of these things. But I would have no advantage whatsoever, uh, at least in, in insofar okay. as, uh, you know, say like the podium stuff. Because if you were Jimmy, when Jimmy got to go to these as the backup, you yep. aren't podium guy. So your work week's actually a lot different. So there's, you know, there, as our team, you know, you have your, you know, whatever it is, five or six captains, something like that. And then maybe three or four other veteran leader types that make up your close to 10 or whatever. And they always kind of have a different schedule. When you're the quarterback in the Super Bowl, you're, you're, li- he's going to be living a different life this week than he did in the other ones, you know, even okay. different than what obviously happens in the game. So, I mean, I think as far as preparation, having gone through the week and pacing himself through two weeks, yeah, that's a nice little advantage. But uh, I think the biggest one is for guys like Tom who are going back to all these different times, and he himself had already done it. The quarterback's a weird deal, man. There's so much to ask of those guys because they're so heavily involved in the game plan, and they meet with the quarterback coach and the OC and head coach if, in the event that those are different people. Um, it's a tough gig for those guys. Like I think of all the people on the football team that don't get to enjoy – sort of the stuff going around during the week, the, the quarterbacks are the most highly taxed because they're asked so much of their time, you know, for media obligations and things like that. And it's tough if you're Jimmy, you know, the way Jimmy looks or, or whatever to go, you know, just to go out in the streets of Miami. I mean, he's not going to be able to do that. So not right. just as Tom, Tom wasn't able to much either. So I think you're right. It's not, it's not to say there are no advantages. I just think it's, it's going to be pretty modest because this is really a first time around for him. One more, and then I'll let it off to Steve. Um, over the past couple of weeks during the playoffs, um, the, the the Niners have really ground and pound the ball a lot, and a lot of people have, um, you know, gotten on, you know, Jimmy saying that, you know, maybe there isn't the trust involved um, that maybe you would want on, in a quarterback going into the Super Bowl. Now, I think that's a bunch of hogwash, and this is a kid that's, you know, averaged – more yards per catch than almost anybody in the league this year. Do you agree with that? Or, or, or are you thinking that um, Shanahan is, is, is going to continue in this mode that he has been? Uh, I'll make it a baseball analogy. Um, I, I would say if, if you strike, if you're striking people out, 
pitch, you know, batter after batter after batter, pitch after pitch after pitch, getting away with throwing fastballs. Why would you ever throw junk? And okay. the reality the reality of football is if you can run it down someone's throat, you don't have to throw it. You're not choosing not to throw. You're not required to. And I think that's the same thing with, you know, great. Nolan Ryan didn't need to throw big hanging curveballs. He just threw fastballs. So if, right. you, can run over, if you can run over people, it, it has nothing to do with faith in quarterback. I mean, you could put – if you had Montana, Jerry Rice, and you know, or either do the Brady and Moss thing or whatever. Do your combination. Do your best receivers in the world. If those offenses could run the ball for 300 yards a game, they would have never thrown it. So right. that's, that's football because you take the risk element away. You don't have to have an exchange where the ball's – traveling through the air. So I, I don't think being exceptional at running the football has anything to do with who the quarterback is. It's sort of a blessing in disguise for any OC. Well, shit, I don't have to do anything else. <laughs> you know, and that's, <laughs> right. that's just the beauty of it. This, this is not a treatise on Jimmy whatsoever. Um, in the event they need to become mildly more balanced, they will, and they can, and they've shown that throughout the course of the year. But I think part of what happens is nationally, uh, you know, I'm probably guilty of this a little bit too. I probably watched maybe half a dozen Niner games this year in the playoffs, and then a handful through the season. But their their last two have been really overwhelmingly run heavy. And nationally, then it's like, oh, why is this good looking quarterback guy that's got the name that came from New England that played under Tom? Why isn't he throwing it as much? And you know, it's just I think a lot of it's just sort of a you know recent memory kind of stuff. It's like, is there a problem with them? Like, no, that's that's not how football works at all. And in the event that they have to no. revert, revert back to that, that's that'll happen and they'll be fine. No, Daryl Royal said it best: dance with the one that brung you. Go ahead, Steve. <laughs> yeah, well, I, and that brings me back to a, a quote that was attributed to Brady when you were there, Matt, in the 2004 season. Charlie Weiss, I think, called in one game run after run when you guys had Corey Dillon and he was just eating up the clock. And then the other team called timeout and they said, Tom came off the field and said to Charlie Weiss, are we ever going to throw the ball again? So, <laughs> you know, and when it's working, yeah, I'll tell you what, it's, it's demoralizing to be on the other side of it. If you can't stop, oh. you just, you know, you kind of just know the game's over at that point. And that's, that's, that's why I think this is such an interesting matchup. We have, you know, we, we talked about that in, in regards to the Titans a lot, too. I think any team's, you know, running game can generally be stopped, but it's just how much are you going to be willing to commit and expose yourself to other things. And if the Chiefs feel like they have to do that, then uh, it'll get interesting with the other part of the game. But uh, it was interesting to see Chris Jones have, you know, sort of mild health and be able to come back and play pretty well as he did against the Titans because he was a huge difference maker. There, those first few series, really three series, they didn't finish off the first one. They ended in the field goal, but – the, the Titans ran all over them early, but then they made an in-game adjustment, and I think part of that yep. was just Jones, Jones being more heavily getting in on early downs. Down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was. You know, it's, it, we'll see. We'll see how they handle it. But uh, that's it's that that run, and this is okay. This is probably my biggest aggravation, um, one of many, I guess. Um, the idea that stop the run, and I, shoot, I just did it. I'm guilty of what I'm about to say. The running game is as varied as the passing game. You know, the, the idea that got to stop the run. Oh, they stopped, you know, the Henry and their run in later series in the game. That scheme is wildly different than what, than what they're going to be doing to you in San Francisco. So it's an entirely different challenge to say that we're, you know, and when we track stats that way, which I think is always kind of foolish, like the idea that you could be really graded to defending, say a zone scheme or something like that uh, doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you'll be able to be, you know, really efficient against a pulling scheme or power scheme or something that's more heavily involved in a fullback. It's an entirely different challenge, just like 
if you were great at defending a vertical passing offense, but kind of suck a little bit on the, the low crosser stuff. So just, it's two different worlds. So they, they did well later in the game with their adjustment against, against Henry. Uh, but this is a new one. So I guess we'll see. Yeah. And you know, on the same uh, subject that Murph talked to you about earlier, you know, with the, with the Super Bowl week and I, we know it gets crazy and I can only imagine what it's like for players you know, when going back to your time, you've been through three of these, you know, what was the message of the coaches like maybe Bill about how to approach all this this week? And, you know, do you remember anything specific of any of those weeks like that? I would say the the venue, I'm, I'm guessing and projecting here a little bit into what maybe coach might have been thinking, how they deliver the message. But I, I think there are certain venues that might be a little more terrifying that you really have to be on top of your, your sort of team control. If you happen to be playing there, I think New Orleans is obviously one of those places because you're right down <laughs> in the middle of it. Right. You know, you're, you're right there off Beale, you know, Beale street, excuse me. I can't even get it right. Uh, but you're right. You're right <laughs> in the middle of, of all the big easy party stuff. And there's a casino, another couple blocks from, from the, uh, you know, from the hotel and then you have the beads and all that stuff going on down there. It's just, uh, that is a whole different world than if you're in Minneapolis, <laughs> you know, so, yeah. or, or, or even Atlanta because Atlanta is so sprawling or Houston's kind of the same way too. Houston's where, you know, everything's 25 minutes away from, from, from one another. Now they're in South beach this week. So I personally, I mean, I'm up here and rent them as I'm talking to you guys. So I'm not, I'm not going down there this year, but I, I don't know. It'll, in part, I think, depend upon a little what the setup is. Uh, you know, if you're right in the middle of sort of the South Beach party scene, which they may not be, they probably aren't, then you can keep them away from, from that stuff. But if, you know, if you're, if it's too easy access to sort of the late night club scene kind of thing, and it's too tempting on a Monday, Tuesday, or maybe even a, a Friday later in the week, that, that can be a problem. That could stress out a staff. And I think that's in part why you look at sort of the, the Patriots patterns that when they had the first Arizona trip, the first Phoenix trip, uh, the one that was a giant loss, but they were out kind of really, really far from the city. You know, you're out kind of in Scottsdale, I believe it was. So part of this, you know, keeping you away from the hubbub that can be the Super Bowl is, you know, kind of where you put yourself. So, and the NFL does control a little of that, but Bill's done this in years past, whereas it gets later in the week, we actually used to, to, to transition to a different hotel. Uh, that was even more sort of away from it all. So that, that to me would be the biggest thing that I would be curious about in Miami because Miami is just so notorious as sort of a club and night scene and women and all that kind of stuff. So they're going to be those kind of trappings if you happen to have a team that's made up of a lot of young guys that are into that more. Some of the vet guys don't necessarily get into that regardless of where you're at, but you know, it's just, it's every team's going to have a little different makeup and there's going to be some places that are more challenging than others. One more question on on uh, on this week's game. Being in Miami, being in essentially an outdoor stadium, how much do you feel that weather could affect this outcome? Wow, Murph, great question. I, you know, I haven't even looked yet. Have you Have you guys seen? Uh, I mean, I know we're what six days out. Uh, so it, has there any forecast yet down that way? Yeah, it, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be sunny and in in the seventies or eighties. Okay. Oh wow, what a day. Well, yeah. I mean, this is, you're getting like a San Diego summer or a San Diego Super Bowl. Obviously they're not doing those anymore, but um, yeah, it, it's kind of interesting though that you even bring up the weather because we haven't been around unless you happen to be in an indoor venue game, like the Minnesota one, but I mean, it was atrocious outside. 
We haven't yeah. been in a really sunny Super Bowl for a while. I mean, Dallas hasn't been that way. Even Houston was, you know, they're like, I think we were in the 50s or something, maybe yeah. 60s. It, but it wasn't like, you know, you might get super sunny in high 70s or 80 or something like that. So you always used to think of Super Bowls that way. It was either in, you know, New Orleans, San Diego, maybe Miami or something like that. But now we've been to all these other crazy places. So uh, let's see. who the, our, our two participants here are a Northern California team and a Midwest team. So, yeah, neither of them are really practicing in the 80s stuff each day anyhow at this juncture. So I would imagine, you know, if you get if you get a bad weather game, uh, if it's say for some reason it, it pivots and ends up really rainy or something like that there in Miami, I mean, and that, that can happen, storm hits or whatever. Um, I would I would imagine of the two teams, the one that would be benefited by that the most would be the Niners. They play great defense, yeah. especially run defense. They they get after you with four. They're really long. If the surface ends up being slick, uh, you know, Armstead especially, you know, some of those guys are just really long and tall, can retrace, cover a lot of ground. If you know if the foot if the underfoot is slick, and just the ways they run the football, as far as like being really good at the sort of horizontal running game. And I don't mean that by running sideways, but I just mean they create gaps in different spaces and, you yep. know, think you're going one way. Stretch and that the other. line out. Yeah. So they're, they're, a, they're an intriguing team and they're a tough team, I think, if the conditions came into play. Um, and Kansas City, because they're so speed-based, like tight end runs pretty well and Hill obviously runs tremendously well. Hardeman runs well. Uh, Watkins pretty good. Um you know, and if you happen to catch a slick surface day and you get one of those monsoons that pile through Miami, I think that's that you, you might almost hope for that if you were you were San Francisco. But if they don't get it, you know, I don't think it's on a nice sunny day. Everyone's happy. Yeah, everybody's happy. Um, one person that's happy is um, is Giselle Bunchen, uh because she gets to, you know, move all over the world. Right now, every time Tom says hello to anybody, or you know, just makes a nod, or or, or does anything on on Instagram, it's it's well, will Giselle want to live there? Whether it's Tennessee or <laughs> wherever. Um, but the bottom line right now is Tom Brady is a free agent for the first time in his career. Um, there's a lot of talk going on that it's important for the Patriots to sign him now before he hits free agency and cap in, in the way the cap is structured. We need to get Miguel on guys and, um, and figure <laughs> this all out. Uh, but do you see Tom as wanting to, to go on this free agent tour or would you, or do you feel in your heart that he would rather get something done here sooner than later? I would say the one thing I took out, and understand, this is probably the first time we've ever done this. The Tom, it is best of my recollection. Yeah. Anyway, we've ever done this sort of public misinformation tour, which is kind of what this is, and it's from both sides, and it's posturing. You know, and and Tom's been doing some posturing uh, from his side, and the Patriots do some from theirs, uh, and it's not antagonistic, but it's just sort of they allow that message to go out. You know, the the message yep. that there's a plan, the message that I'm open to it. I mean, all these things are sort of cryptic statements, but Neither side is saying, I'll play for whatever, and I'll sign you for whatever. I mean, it's it's neither side is completely open book to the other, and that's pretty normal in any negotiation, but we've never done or seen this with Tom. So that's kind of new. Uh, the, the one thing I did take away from the, the sort of statement about, uh, you know, and again, it's a leaked piece of news. I don't recall which of the nationals here. Maybe it was Adam uh, Schefter. I don't know. But the, the the story of wanting to not have it be sort of a grunt kind of thing where 
you know, it's protracted, you're, you're, you're maybe many, many months out and not yet making a decision and you're kind of, you're feeling like it may affect your draft decisions or free agency decisions, um, you know, and the, the opening of sort of that, you know, wild chase and free agency kind of stuff. I don't think – I never – I didn't get the sense that, like, you know, the Patriots starting quarterback is, you know, going to be named in the first two days of free agency or something like that. So I, I think there's going to be a lot of, you know, work that needs to get done in advance of it. And it may still be a Hightower McCourty situation where it's like, here's a very competitive offer. You're a guy. We want you. Well, we're not going to close the door, you know, to you going out there. Cause that's, to me, that's different than Gronk. I, I, yep. I didn't necessarily read the, read the statement that it was, we want the deal done before the opening day of free agency on March 18th. And if that's not done, then we're going to look elsewhere because we don't want a Gronk situation. I thought it was more, Hey, let's not be screwing around with this. 90 days after free agency. And I, mm-hmm. I think that's a fair statement that probably both sides wants quite, wants quite frankly. So um, I, I would imagine the, the other half of that, so the other part of that piece of news is that it tells you that there is going to be some preemptive discussions, but shoot, we're in a Super Bowl week right now. Uh, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, the first couple weeks after the Super Bowl, it's really heavy young guy evaluation time, you know, the, the next several weeks, quite frankly, after the Super Bowl. So, you know, there's going to be a week or two out. I mean, I probably shouldn't even say that. I, I would guess a, a lot, a, a block of time, call it two weeks, uh, in advance of that March 18th, where they're going to need to at least have their first cup of coffee. <laughs> you know, the first yeah. sit across from another, crack the knuckles, and say, where are we sitting on all this? What are you looking for? Here's what we're looking for, that kind of thing. Maybe no term, maybe no rate, but just, you know, the, the parameters. I, I think in part what's kind of unique for Tom is, He's played 20 years here, right? So you're probably looking – you don't want any uncertainty at this juncture in your life of what might happen with you for the next two or three years, whatever they do. So I think that would – I mean, I'm I'm talking for time here. This is certainly not him saying that. But I would say at that stage, if I'd accomplish as much as he he has, and they're going to know that my own comfort is extremely, extremely important to me, and I built up this great, you know, uh, sort of comfort thing around me with my TV 12 right next door with, uh, you know, the basically just roots that are deep and I've got a family and all those things. So I know I've got a lot of that stuff working against me uh, relative to a threat to leave. But I'm also going to want to know that the conditions are such that, you know, say, Josh, you, know, you might want to know, hey, Josh, if Josh takes off and leaves next year, and because he gets a head coaching job or something like that. And, and uh, you know, Tom's here under a two- or three-year deal in the next couple of years aren't terribly uh, guaranteed or not at least entirety. Uh, you know, you kind of want to know that because I don't just see Tom at this stage with all the incredible things he's accomplished wanting to go through a year of certainty and back into this uncertainty stage again. You know, whether it be what the scheme stuff possibly changing or having to imagine working with a new guy. The last year of your career, potentially. That's that's just. I, I would imagine before they even get to, I want to play for this amount per year. Uh, I would think that they'd want to talk around the atmospheric stuff a little bit. Who's going to be here? What's your plan? What are you thinking about? And if you know, if in fairness, if the the team is like, we want you here, uh, but you know, we're going to start investing our money in other places, and you know, your input isn't really needed in the offense, and if there's any standoffishness in that way. That could be a turnoff potentially, but yeah. if they embrace him the way we kind of expect, you know, Mr. Kraft to do, um, 
then maybe none of this stuff matters. But, you know, I think that's those conversations have to happen first. Here's what I'm looking for. Here's what I want the next two to three years of my life to look like. And uh, if they're like, yeah, we, we, want to, we want it to look like that too, then okay. Then this gets easy real fast, and maybe we don't even make it to March 18th. Excellent stuff, Dave. You know, when we're speaking of free agents, I mean, the next two that come up, obviously, to me anyway, is you're talking about your quarterback of your offense, which is Tom Brady. I think you have to mention the quarterback of the defense, Devin McCourty. You know, know, he's obviously a little bit different situation, but I think he's just as – important for the defense as almost as I won't say just as important, but almost as important as Tom is for the offense. I I really believe that. And, and another guy, I think it falls right into that is Matt Slater. How, how do you see, you know, these guys working out this year uh, about them possibly returning or not? I think one of the tough conversations here is um, you kind of know how it works as a veteran player. Uh, you know that as soon as the the season ended and the calendar changed and it was a new year and they now consider you a year older, the question is, do they look at you any differently? Do they value in you any differently? I would presume, my, my, my assumption here would be that both Dev and Matt are looked at identically as they were both the year prior. I think if we were ever in a situation here where, say, the guy I'm talking about, whether he be, you know, a defensive leader or a special teams leader, was like an emotional leader, you know, captain on the field, that kind of stuff, but his play is not quite tip-top, then this is where these conversations get dicey because then it's like, and you know, I'm not going to name people's names, but, you know, there were some, you know, legendary players uh, throughout Patriot years that did have a few sort of end-of-career type of years where the role changed, uh, and they were just, you know, great leaders in the locker room, but they weren't going to make Pro Bowls and things like that anymore. And that was kind of known, right? But I don't – this is an unusual situation where you've got two long-tenured guys who are, you know, legacy guys just like those others I mentioned, uh, but that also are still at the top of their game, oddly enough, in year 10, 11, right. 12, whatever it may be. And that's crazy. So uh, as long as the offers aren't defensive, and that can happen in, in the NFL. You know, hey, I played for 10 last year. How about you play for five this year? Like, whoa, you know, that, that's, mm. if, there, if there's no reason it's, you know, why it would draw back other than saying, yeah, I want to go a different direction. If it's in the neighborhood of what was before, I, I think with both guys, it's just sort of a rubber stamp kind of situation. Because it would be hard to think that the thinking on the player would change that much in this amount of time with their play already so high. The one last thing I would say too, is and you always have this in your mind as a player, you know, you're going to know your agent's going to know the cap, the cap situation, the team, your agent's going to know some of the other things they're juggling. Um, and you're also going to know the cap growth overall. So you're going to know if, so, Hey, you know, I was at a certain, either a certain number or either a percent of cap uh, in, in not only last year, but where they've kind of, valued me over the, my entirety of my career here. You know, there's been a high water mark and a low water mark kind of thing. But now that it's changed and it's moving up, it's going up almost another 10 again, um, do they try to hold me at my old number, which is actually as a percentage of the cap, a little bit lower, you know? Yeah. Or, and if and in your mind, you're maybe thinking, well, that's not fair. But you're also saying, yeah, but I've already made all my money that I'm going to make in a slight reduction. And it's not even a reduction. It's, it's taking on the same amount of money, but it's not staying sort of in accordance with the, the ratios or whatever. 
those are those things get a little more difficult because if you want to fight for every nickel at the end and year 12 and 13, that, that always becomes a tough conversation, especially in that you don't want to put yourself in a position where, say, say both these guys, I should do it hypothetically, say both Dev and Matt want to do multi-year deals just so they don't have to have this conversation every year. You don't want to be in a spot where whatever the number is for the second year you take on almost you know, guarantees you won't be here. <laughs> you know, like right, you have the right. number jump or something like that. So I think when you get to this stage of your career and you're that good, like all these guys are we're talking about, you're you're wanting a number that you feel is fair, but you're also wanting a number that doesn't provide an incentive for them to not have you here later. <laughs> so that's always that's always kind of part of it. You know, you may expect what if I what if my role steps back modestly, you know, a year or two from now? Am I gonna be carrying a number that still allows me to to play at that, or am I going to have to come back here and renegotiate something? And that's that's a pain in the ass too. That is that is a you know. Pain um, speaking of Matt Slater, um, Murph and I talked uh, off the year, and I think we might have mentioned it on the podcast last week. Um, we could foresee a, a guy like Matt Slater possibly having a role like Jack Easterby had when his, yeah. you know, with the with the team when his playing days were over. Could you see him in that kind of a role? Yeah, I mean, uh, we've had some – I've had some of the teammates, Don Davis. Don did uh, sort of team chaplain, uh, you know. Oh, no kidding. Uh, you know, yeah, like Double D is a – like he works at the NFLPA now. He's he's a he's a rock star, really good at what he does. But mm-hmm. we've had we've had other guys that were really heavily exceptional leaders but also real faith-based guys that have slid into roles like that. Uh, O.J. Bergantz was in player development for before he – O.J.'s a – Oh my gosh! I hope I'm not scissor. I'm pretty sure it was Parkinson's that OJ's been struggling with. Uh, but OJ was another really good, faithy guy uh, that also was was went into player development. So you can kind of help guys with transitions and all the player problems that come in. That's that's a role in a department there in a team that's super important. And it's a little bit like what Easterby did. I mean, yeah, he had his roles were pretty varied and even got into some of the football stuff as well. But you know, those aren't terribly defined roles. But whenever you have a guy like Matt that it's still, you know, killing it on the off on the on the football field. So that's that's kind of a different discussion. But if at any point you can retain a guy like that in your organization, you're gonna you're gonna you'd love to do it, I would imagine. So um, yeah, it'd be really cool if he was around here for a long time. But that's still a kid from uh, is he from California? I know he went to UCLA, but I, I guess I've never had that discussion with him what his plans are gonna be. It would be cool to. I'm sure it's, it's it sounds great to have him here, but then if you find a kid or a guy who wants to you know, wants to live and work on the right. West Coast or near home, wherever that may be, then that sometimes can be a deal breaker. Well, you, you know how it is. I mean, you did not grow up here. It's kind of a bit of a culture shock when you, you know, coming from from anywhere in the in the United States and then landing in, in New England. But he seemed to adjust pretty well before then. <laughs> one, one, one change that we do know that's, that's happened, uh, Jed Fish is joining the coaching staff. You know, Jed's been around for, you know, many, many years. Um, he, he was with the Rams for a long time. He was with the Seahawks for a while, and uh, he was a coach back at Michigan. How do you feel? How do you feel Jed's going to fit in here? And you know, I made a joke the other day on Twitter that you know they brought Fish in the same way they did with Garoppolo a few years ago. Maybe to, maybe to get somebody to refocus a little bit on their job. <laughs> Even yeah. Josh. So what what do you think of Jed uh, as as a coach and how he's going to fit in here? I know nothing about him other than simply reading the profile and kind of <laughs> sorry. <laughs> just t- no, it's okay. But just kind of keeping, you know, I, I'm reading the news as everyone else, and uh, I certainly don't know him personally. But 
in the event that he's – his profile is simply one that's coached a lot of different things, and I know, I know Bill always values that. You know, he's not – I coached the O-line at a junior college, then I coached it at a D2, then I coached it at a D1, then I coached it as a quality control O-line in the NFL, and then I was an O-line assistant, and now I'm an O-line coach, and now I'm your O-line coach. Like that's, that was, those profiles exist in the NFL. Uh, but yep. the ones that Bill really tends to gravitate towards is, you know, the guys that I coached DBs, then I coached tight ends, now I'm a little quarterback coach, and I was a secondary coach, you know, that kind of thing, because they're pretty rounded and he, mm-hmm. I mean, this guy has been a defensive quality control guy, but he's been a receivers coach. He's been an OC. He's been a QB coach. Uh, and as an OC, he's overseen run game stuff. So, and he's also been a passing game coordinator, coached actually yep. receivers even at his time at Michigan. So the point is, like, he is all over the board. So those guys with, like, a full system eye can, can tend, to be, tend to be appealing. So what exactly Bill has in mind for him, I have no clue. But, uh, you know, when you – see a name you don't know and you scroll and see sort of their profile and go yep that's that's a bill hire that makes sense yeah that's that's the way i was looking at it this is a this is a guy that's walking into your kitchen and has said no i i was a little more than a sous chef i i've done this and this and this and this and this and that's that like you said that's something that bill gravitates towards and he likes somebody that is versatile and and can you know move around within the system and i was just you know, it's great that that he uses that template also with his coaching staff as as opposed to just with his players. We we all know how Bill enjoys the versatility on a guy that's wearing a number for him. So I, I just wanted to get that out there, and I, I thought it was a pretty good hire. And like I said, maybe it's you know something that's gonna you know get Josh to say, yeah, I'm I'm just gonna focus on my job and not kind of worry about everybody else who wants me on the dance floor. Um, I just love I love here Murph that they refer to him as a senior offensive assistant. He's a mm. senior offensive assistant. He's forty three years old. So good God, forty three years old. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, everybody's sitting around this table today has t shirts older than forty three. <laughs> no, that, that's really really good. But um, we're, when we're talking about free agency and we're talking about Tom Brady. Um, I brought up the the subject of which came first, the chicken or the egg. Which is more important right now, and which which shoe do you think is going to drop first? Are, are people out there, are players out there, waiting to see if Tom Brady is going to be back here? And and oh. you know, on the other side of that coin, Tom is waiting to see who's who's being brought in. Right. Um, wow, that's a great question. In in, in so far as if you know, say. This is a place that's never spent big money on, say, some random wide receiver or, say, some free mm-hmm. agent, you know, tight end, not that there are any available at this juncture. But, you know, pick your skill position that catches balls and gets stats or runs the ball, whatever. This is never a place that, you know, is going to go top of market at those positions. They've paid top, top of market for middle linebackers. They've paid top of market uh, for free safeties. They've paid top of market for kickers top of market for a tight end issue, you know, top issue of market, I guess, but he was an in-house guy. Um, but if you go to the positions that cost the most, pass rusher, uh, you know, your wide receivers, not, I'm saying non-quarterback here, those are typically where they max out. You know, Stephon Gilmore was the first time we've ever seen him pay a top of market position at, at corner, because corner's another one of those high-paid positions. But all I'm saying is if you – and I hate doing this because I'm, I'm fully anticipating that Tom would be here – um, but we don't know this necessarily, uh, but 
obviously the thinking could change if you were ever in a different kind of distribution on the roster of say all of a sudden you're you went young guy quarterback so if yep. they go young guy quarterback because Tom chooses another place well you then need to surround you know, him all, with yeah well, all of a sudden the philosophy on what you can spend on other things may change or maybe it stays the same I, I don't know uh or and you just say hey this is a place where you know, we're going to spend money on the defense or whatever. But, yeah, it's always been a pretty balanced spot. So I I, I'm, I put that hypothetical out there, and I, I kind of don't even agree that Bill would, uh, if I were simply guessing, that Bill would somehow flip. Uh, you know, say, oh, we got, you know, we got our version of a Dak Prescott on a, a rookie contract now. So let's go spend money, lots of money on all our wide receivers. Like, I, I just, that seems to me too far-fetched. I think he would found, you know, he, I would imagine, I'm guessing, that he would find a, a young quarterback on a young contract. And whenever it is that we get to that stage, uh, you know, has found gold that he can spread around the roster as opposed to just putting a, on a on a blue chip or two. So I don't. I guess okay. we'll see. I'm not. I'm not sure how his philosophy would change on that. But uh, if it's Tom, well, then that's going to direct uh, some decisions. But let's put it this way: last year it didn't. I mean, I, well, let me look at the. Uh, is it Humphreys, the 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 slot guy that went to Tennessee yep. from Tampa? Yep. He was an example that really surprised me because he was coveted here, gave a decent number, and chose to go to a place with a terrible passing offense at the time, Mariota. Um, so he, you would think, oh, you know, you're doing a nice three-year deal. You're making money. Tom's purportedly going to be here. And he just chose the best financial situation for himself, which, you know, I'm not faulting him for doing it. But no. I think we may be past the point of, unless we're talking about veteran free agents who are just doing a one- or two-year deal, if you're talking about the guy that's doing a four or five year deal, the the, the Brady thing could almost work against you because you know you you got to know realistically you'll if you live out your five you're only going to play part of it with him. So at least at least to say that that can't be the only thing driving your decision, you'd have to consider some other stuff. So yeah, I guess it'll be interesting to see how free agency shakes out now early because that uncertainty could you know make even a defensive free agent thinks hey I'm going to go here for another Super Bowl run and. If some crazy piece of news of Tom comes down weeks after that, and right, you know, you're, you're thinking could change, I guess. No, my thinking is I want Hunter Henry in a uh, Patriots uniform next year. And <laughs> I'm not going to get another chance to, <laughs> to have that. All right, go ahead, Steve. Well, I wanted to ask you about the Aaron Hernandez um, docu series oh. or mini series or whatever it was, because um, I, I, you know. I watched it last week. I didn't look at anyone's comments because I wanted to, I didn't want anyone's opinions to kind of reflect what I was seeing. I just kind of wanted to go into a blank slate. I wasn't really a big fan of this. And I'll tell you, it seemed like they were trying to make excuse after excuse for the guy's behavior. And, you know, I'm not saying he didn't have some rough patches in his life. I think, it's obvious that he did. I just, I, I don't know. It seemed like it was really preordained. They were going to blame this on CTE. They kind of did that right from the get go. And I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm way off track here, but I, I kind of wanted to get your feelings on this because, you know, you're a guy who played football. I mean, is, is it that has a son who plays hockey? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I you would, know, I, I don't know. I uh, that was the way I took it, uh, and maybe I'm way off the beam. I just, I, 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 I didn't it like it, way. and I didn't like the guys they had on there. I mean, they yeah. they had too many people who didn't even know them. 
And right. that was the kind of thing that, I mean, I can understand some of the sportscasters, you know, those are guys who right. covered them. They, they saw it. That's one thing, but some of the football players they had on there didn't even, they didn't even know him. I, I just, I don't know. I wasn't a big fan of this overall. Yeah, I would say, uh, and I'm not knocking him. Hey, Wiggy, if you're hearing this, if Wiggy happens to check this out, I've actually thought Wiggy did a great job on it, but it mm. did cross my mind too. Is like, I don't, we didn't play with that guy, so we didn't really know him that well. And, uh, but I thought Wiggy's answer that I liked the most, though, was when he was used to sort of shoot down that CT would be allowed as an excuse for any of his behavior, especially since it dates back to so long. I thought he probably did as good as on the show and answered it that way. The problem with that, and I say this in all due respect to my friend and teammate, he doesn't have any credibility. And he has credibility with me. He has credibility with other football players. But when they say, oh, see, they showed the flip side of it by letting Wiggy say that. Well, they let Wiggy say the true statement. And then they get the quote from McKee. So all that does is, and she can say, you know, the flip side that, you know, that changes behavior and CTE can cause this, that, and the other. When you say, hey, we showed both sides of it, and you show a football player and a doctor, even if the football player is right and the doctor is exaggerating, using hyperbole, using a very unscientific conclusion, anything like that, using an atrociously small sample with nothing to compare it to, the the general view is being taken out of context and editing. You know, they're not going to. They're not going to pick. They're not going to pick up on that. But what's going to happen with 99% of the viewers? He says, "There's Wiggy and there's a doctor." I, you know, and they both are stating an opinion on CTE. I choose a doctor, and that to me is it, it's sort of it's creative editing. You know, it's it's you say, "Hey, I showed the other side," and even if it, Wiggy's answer is better and it is, uh, you, you sort of buy into the bio, and that. So my my biggest problem with it is. Uh, you know, I think Chris Borland is an articulate guy. He's a he's a, he's a nice guy. I I can respect his decision. It certainly wouldn't have been Absolutely, mine. Absolutely, sure. To to each their own. But what the fuck was he doing on the on the on the dock? He had nothing to do with it. So that right. I was very I was very that feels like staging to me. That feels like editorializing. That feels like we're going to inject this as a cause and we're going to sort of thread that through each of these episodes. And then we're going to do the, hey, but we're just going to let you decide at the end. Well, no, you've directed the audience way too much. Like, why is this guy on here? A guy that quit football uh, a year into his career for his own concerns about that disease. Um, and, and again, well, and here's how editorial choice works, especially in docs or shoot, writing a, a column or writing a book or anything like this. Uh, we were, it's also known that, that he was chain smoking PCP you know, laced into the weed that the guy was doing. Like he, he had, yeah. a, that was some serious news reporting. Some serious part of the accusations was actually going on through the case and that there's editorial choice there. At no point did we have say, and I, I'm a privy to this stuff because or sensitive to this stuff. Cause my, my brother is a, a is a federal, um, he's a federal attorney. He does a prosecutes uh, drug crimes in, uh, in Iowa. Uh, so he's one of the foremost guys in the country on meth cases. Like, he does big, big time stuff like this. So yeah. when you look at this guy's profile and all the different things he was doing in his life that predate any plausible occurrence of CTE, when they just skimmed over the, the PCP thing, and it was it was a blur they, they mentioned in there, but through editorial choice, they don't have on, say, a guy like my brother to talk about how the use of blah, blah, blah can affect behavior and affect decision-making, affect blah, blah, blah. And then, hey, maybe instead of Chris Borland, you have a, a you know, guy that's been a crackhead or a guy that's, that smoked PCP his whole life. That's editorial choice. If you want to direct an audience to what they might think or what they're going to conclude, 
you put the experts there that would give that extra information, but they completely brushed by that and spent time on CTE. And that is, right. that is, that's misdirecting the audience. That's taking it and you're making the decision and you're choosing to de-emphasize the other part that would have been so much more likely to have been a factor than CTE that again is at, at various levels is running around inside of all of us and we're not killing people. So, and again, he's, he does not have that excuse for those, you know, issues of violence he had in high school yeah. or right into college. You don't have that excuse then. So I'll end this with a metaphor that, that I think works pretty good for me when I try to figure okay. this out. Cause you know, we're, we're obviously, you know, worrying about that stuff too and trying to figure out who's doing good research, who's doing bad research, who's being a little bit, you know, dangerous with it. When I hear, um, someone willing to throw that in as sort of a leading factor, leading to lead the story with or willing to let it thread through the entire deal. I get really nervous sort of this way. You can read the back of, uh, you know, say for example, a bottle of aspirin, right. Or say ibuprofen or whatever it may be, an Advil, whatever you take, there's going to be a line in there that's going to list all the potential symptoms. One of the symptoms may be, uh, constipation, or it may cause diarrhea. That you know, a lot of these sort of pain pills you take will always have that on there. So it's acknowledged, it's been studied, it's been tested that hey, you may get diarrhea from taking this pill. Not everyone's going to, but you may. So that's imagine if you have a person who went to Kidoba and ordered six burritos, <laughs> went out for tequila shots that night, got bombed out of his mind, and then rode roller coasters for eight hours. But he had an aspirin. And now he's got diarrhea the next morning. You can say, wow, look at he had aspirin. And it says right here on the bottle, aspirin causes diarrhea. That's what they're doing with the CTE thing. And that drives me nuts because the CTE wasn't causing it before. And when you have 17 other factors that also cause it, you can't (laughs) give it credit for it at the end. It doesn't make sense. It's idiotic. And that, that, that that bothers me because there are too many people that are that uneducated about this stuff that simply got shown it enough times over the course of the doctor said, well, that had to be it that don't actually understand what was going on in the case. He had every opportunity in the world. If he wanted to sort of throw himself on the mercy of the court and said, Hey, I got this head thing. And I've just been, you know, one guy, one day, one guy, the next, I'm, you know, borderline schizophrenic here. I'm basically having all these mental health problems. And I think the CTE thing is really, really pushing me towards this. And I'm not even sure what I did. I'm, you know, this is a guy that was calm, cool. They bragged upon his state of mind, how great yeah. his spirits were, how wonderful he was, how everything was going great in his life. And that's not what Junior was dealing with. Junior was really struggling. So I, I find it offensive to even try to throw these guys in the same sentence. This is a guy, if, if that hadn't truly been his something that was just had created a demon in him, no one saw it. And he didn't complain of it. And he certainly, he was asymptomatic on that. So he just right. simply, his, his, his attorney used it to try to win a, a civil suit uh, after this case was over. And if that had not been introduced, we would have never, ever even brought the subject matter up. And rightfully so, because, again, they cannot compare it to any other 27-year-old NFL player. They can compare it to my head, and mine might look yeah. identically to his, and I'm not killing anyone. So it's just, to me, that's, it's so incredibly foolish, but, you know, we're the jocks. So we have a you know a lesser opinion alongside a doctor that in my view might be doing really, really dangerous public sampling and uh, letting it fly by just on credentials. I, I don't like that. Obviously. Bravo. I, I appreciate that because like I said, I mean, it seemed like that was preordained right off the bat. And, you know, I, I kind of wanted to see, I, and they really didn't touch on 
anything new that we didn't already know in with the whole case, other than, you know, we got to hear him talk in a couple of uh, recorded phone calls when he was already in jail. That was only other than maybe the, uh, the kid he knew in high school, you know, other than that, I mean, all this we've heard before. I just, I don't know. I wasn't a fan of it. I was kind of, I was hoping to hear something new or different. I just, I thought, you know, right from the get go. And I, I wanted to get your take on that. And I would say, I appreciate Steve, I, Steve, I would say one other thing that I think got massively de-emphasized and I think would be a better comparative thing, quite frankly, if you were doing it, you know, they were, they're looking to entertain. And it was mildly entertaining, especially if all that information was new. I mean, a lot of New England folks had already knew the story back and forth. But if you're not, you're right. some person lives in Arizona and you don't know this and just say, oh, shoot, shoot that, you know, that guy that killed people to play for the Patriots kind of thing. I mean, you're going to learn some stuff from that. But I think, again, if you want to get into real fair analysis of what might drive someone to be a killer, the homosexual thing is is personal choice, obviously, deal. And that doesn't, you know, it, it, it affects people differently. And if there had been reporting and there was reporting here locally that it was a huge mo issue of stress for him. And it was something that even to the moment of his own suicide, he was trying to hide from his, his significant other. It's clearly something that is a, a, a point of stress somewhere there in his life. And I mean, you can have, if you wanted to sort of analyze that stuff deeper you can have guests on that say, you know, I had a, a spouse that had that same demon that fought with it for years and years and years. And eventually it drove him to suicide because he just didn't want it to come out or it killed, you know, it screwed his life. That would be sort of the comparative thing. If you wanted to say, Hey, we're going to explore that, but they didn't really go that route. And I think it, again, financial troubles. I mean, it, imagine defending yourself, uh, you know, making the money you did make in the NFL, but having to cut short because, he, you know, he kind of referenced, I don't have the 40 million. <laughs> you know, I haven't been paid right. yet. So the idea of how many, and again, I would think this would be fair to put the statistic for how frequent is, is suicide in a, in a, in a, in a situation where you have a for life sentence. Anyhow, if it's extremely likely, well, then it may not be <laughs> some, you know, head disorder. It might just be, this is actually very common and we have to go out of our way to keep, people from killing themselves yep. especially ones who had an entirely different persona they've now got these massive financial issues he even you know is sort of bragging in his letters that you're now going to be rich it, it seemed like this was a very cool calm collected almost psychopath that was doing this so to me it's just sort of unfair to sort of not cover that like you know if, right. if you come across you've known yourself to be this rich man your whole life and all of a sudden you defended yourself ineffectively as you know in a murder case well, now let's talk about that real life stress. You're you're broke, <laughs> and that's yeah. that can be that can be crushing, and that's crushed many many people before. So I don't know. It just it seems silly to me to 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 brush by all the other real life factors that drive people to do crazy stuff. And uh, you know, CTE though. <laughs> yeah. Well, Matthew, I want to thank you so much for um, taking the time today and uh, being patient and, of course, giving us some fantastic insight. There, there, there's a reason I introduce you as a professor to uh, so many people, and it, it, it's just it's always great to sit down and be able to talk with you, and we hope to have you uh, you back, you know, maybe right before or right after the draft, after all this free agency hubbub gets out of the way, and uh, thank you again, my friend. We Please tell everybody what you can about what where they can read you where they can find you because uh, i know you've always got more irons in the in the fire 
Yeah, well, you know, I'm I'm obviously a writer and my uh, for the athletic and do my podcast with those guys, but I I'm on sabbatical. I guess we'll call it that. So in the <laughs> off season, I just, when the Pats stop playing games, I stop writing, and the podcast, I kind of take a break. Uh, but Jeff Howe and Nick Underhill continue to do the uh, the Razor Show podcast uh, throughout the off season. I think it kicks up for them a little more when we start getting around drafts and free agency, like you mentioned. Uh, but so you will not see another column for me, at least uh, not expectedly so until we get closer to the season. Uh, but okay. still be on Nesson. So so I'm on Nesson here now and again. So a few times a week here throughout the off season, we're always talking about new nonsense. We've got the uh, our Nesson after hours <laughs> on the show with Celia <laughs> Godwin great and show. Uh, Emerson. <laughs> you know, so, you yeah, and Emerson and the and the guy. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. I really we have do. fun. So, appointment. We'll hope hope for some more food segments. We'll just do it that way. Oh yeah, that's it, that's it, man. Smoking them up, smoking meats. It's just fantastic <laughs> stuff. We thank you again for being here with us, Steve. Put a bow on this one. And let's get out of here. Yeah. All right, hey Matt, thanks again for joining us. We really appreciate it, and I, I appreciate your comments on that mini series too. I just, like I said, I, I watched it. I drew my own conclusions. So, and that's the end of that. But uh, thanks again. We want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, We'll be back next week with another podcast. Thanks again to Matt Chatham for joining us today. He's always been very good to us. And uh, we'll be back next week with another show. Until then, I was going to say, how about those Patriots? But they were off for the season. So (laughs) (laughs) have a great week, folks. (laughs) Have a great week.